A New Perspective explores breakthrough strategies, techniques, and technologies with leading industry experts to optimize the human mind, body, and spirit. A better you enriches the community around you and progressively renews the world. We are a community dedicated to that impact. Welcome to A New Perspective. Right. Hello and welcome everybody to A New Perspective. I am so excited for today's podcast. We actually have uh, Jeff Chilton in with us. This has been a long time in the making, sir. Let me read your bio just to introduce you to everybody who has, has uh, not familiar with your body of work. But Jeff Chilton was raised in the Pacific Northwest and studied ethnomycology at the University of Washington in the late 60s. Started working on a commercial mushroom farm in Olympia, Washington in 73. During the next 10 years, he became the production manager responsible for cultivating over 2 million pounds of agaricus mushrooms per year and was also involved in the research and development of shiitake, oyster, and enoki mushrooms, which resulted in the earliest U.S. fresh shiitake sales in 1978. In the late 70s was the founder of Mycomedia, which held four mushroom conferences in the Pacific Northwest. These educational conferences brought together educators and experts in the mushroom identification, ethnomycology, and mushroom cultivation. During this period, Jeff co-authored the highly acclaimed book, The Mushroom Cultivator, uh, which is actually uh, one of the, the classics, uh, in which was published in 1983. In the 1980s, he operated a mushroom spawn business and in 89 started Namex, a business that introduced medicinal mushrooms to the U.S. nutritional supplement industry. He's traveled extensively uh, in China during the 90s, attended conferences, and visited visiting research facilities and mushroom farms. In 1997, he organized the first organic mushroom production seminar in China. Jeff's company, Namex, was the first to offer a complete line of certified organic mushroom extracts in the United States nutritional supplement industry. Namex extracts are used by many nutritional supplement companies and are noted for their superior high quality based on scientific analysis of the active compounds. That is a mouthful, but let me just say... Uh, Jeff, it is such an honor to have you here, and I have to say, you are in the running for maybe one of the top, you know, t certainly top five, top ten mushroom experts in the world. It is just an awesome ex you know, t time for me to have you here, sir. Thanks for being here. <laughs> thank you so much for that introduction, and, and thank you for having me on your show, Joe. It's, it's great to be here. It's good to have you. So... Let's dive right in. I, I actually first was introduced to your work uh, through a friend of mine who lives up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we actually came and looking for sourcing ingredients for our products, uh, came across just the, the scientific research of the beta-glucans I know we'll dive into. Um, but I have to know, before we dive into all the science and all the amazing stuff about mushrooms, I want to talk a little bit about your journey, just how you got here. I mean, back in the 60s, this was still a very much a fledgling industry. How did you first get interested in mushrooms? How did this whole thing start for you? Well, I mean, uh, living in the Pacific Northwest, it's a very green area, lots of forests, it rains a lot, perfect climate for mushrooms. So I, I was raised in a, in, uh, with mushrooms all around me. Um, in the um, 60s, I was, uh, went to university, and at university, I, I studied anthropology. But I also, because of my mushroom interest, I also just, uh, studied mycology. And part of that, uh, bringing those two together into ethnomycology was the fact that I, I uh, learned that mushrooms had been used for thousands of years in shamanism. 
And so I started studying mushroom use uh, medicinally uh, for food and in shamanic work uh, during my time at the university. But then after, after I was out of university, what do you do with a degree in anthropology, Joe? I mean, it's like <laughs> there's no job openings. Right, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> so, so I, I uh, went to my ecology professor and I said, I really would like to grow mushrooms. I thought, wow, that would be really cool. Uh, and we had one mushroom farm in Washington State. I went to that mushroom farm. I applied for a job. I ended up being there for the next 10 years, and I lived with mushrooms. I mean, literally lived with mushrooms for the next 10 years. That's killer. Very cool. And, <laughs> and I actually came to your book, The Mushroom Cultivator, I guess published in 83. You co-wrote that book. Is that the one that you wrote with Paul Stamets? That's right. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of a, he's he's another famous guy that's floating around the the mushroom world today. So yeah, that's indeed. Amazing that that you two have known each other for so long, as kids. Oh yeah, we were we were best friends in the late seventies when I met Paul. He was in university at the time when I was uh, growing mushrooms, and then uh, we had common interests because he was also studying mushrooms and and. Uh, he was a part of doing these mushroom conferences. We had a small group that was doing those conferences. And then we co-wrote the book in 1983. And you know what? Funny thing is, is that book still still sells 5,000 copies every year. That's incredible. Yeah, 1983 was when it was published. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, it shows you. You guys have put some good work in. It, when, is that still a book that you recommend when you tell us when people ask you, you know, identifying mushrooms or growing mushrooms? Is that the book oh, you typically recommend? In terms of growing mushrooms, absolutely. Still, still very relevant. That's why it continues to sell. It's got everything you need in there. It's called uh, Mushroom Cultivator: A Practical Guide to Growing Mushrooms at Home. It still is. That's awesome. And I know in your your conference business, this is this is actually not, wasn't in your bio, but just from our conversations. I remember you were telling me about the conferences that you were throwing back in the, the 80s and it was the 70s, I think. And you actually interfaced with uh, Terrence McKenna, who is also kind of a godfather figure out here. Yeah, in the uh, yeah. Actually, we had Terrence as our keynote speaker for the final conference in, uh, I think it was 1982 or 83. And, and, you know, Terrence and his brother Dennis actually wrote one of the first small guides to growing magic mushrooms in the 70s. So they were, at that time, Terrence was deeply into mushrooms. Probably still sells 5,000 copies a year on those, that bad boy too. sure it does. <laughs> um, well, let's dive into, as I know, I, I was a total neophyte not too long ago on mushrooms, and it is just, there's so much amazing stuff. And for most people, you know, that most people, don't, you know, they think, you know, like, I, you know, I like mushrooms or maybe you order them on pizza and most people don't even really know, you know, much more about, you know, what is mushrooms. And so for those that, that don't know, I guess, if you were going to explain really what makes mushrooms so unique and special on the planet and how they do so much for just our environment and ecology. Um, I know they're actually one of the five kingdoms maybe you can kind of speak to. There's, there's, you know, obviously there's plant, animal, plant, animal, bacteria, algae, and uh, what's the other one? Well, mushroom, mushrooms have their fungi. own kingdom. It's uh, <laughs> uh, the kingdom of fungi. And, and, you know, they're just one part of a very large group. There's all sorts of fungal organisms out there that are very different from, from an actual mushroom. And, and just to give you a little 
um, background on the life cycle of this organism that we call a mushroom. Uh, it starts with a spore. Uh, mushrooms don't have seeds. They have spores. The spore, the spore floats out. It gets onto the ground somewhere in the soil or in wood. Uh, when multiple spores germinate, and they germinate into a very fine filament, those filaments come together and form a network, and that, net, that network is called mycelium. That mycelium is what we term the vegetative body of this organism. And when conditions are right, that body of mycelium will put up a mushroom. And that mushroom is called the fruiting body, whereas the mycelium is the vegetative body. The mushroom comes up, it matures, it drops spores, the life cycle is complete. But what fungi do and, and what this mycelium does is it breaks down all of the organic matter that's out there in the environment, all of those leaves, plants, uh, wood, woody material. It's nature's premier recycler. So it's recycling all that organic matter back into humus to be utilized by by plants and, and other organisms. So, so that's really the role that they play out there. We know mushrooms essentially as this uh, stem cap. We eat it. Uh, it's used uh, for all sorts of purposes. I mean, uh, mushrooms are an amazing, amazing group. How many, do you know how many species of mushroom there are? I think they figure over 100,000. Over yeah. I mean, hundreds of thousands of them. Many of them are still undiscovered and unnamed. But remember, within this fungal kingdom, a lot of those fungi will produce mycelium, but they never produce a fruiting body. And that grouping is called imperfect fungi. And, and they're really important too. They're, they're doing the same thing as the perfect fungi, which produces a mushroom. The imperfect mushrooms, that's where we actually got penicillin was from an imperfect fungus that was just a out in the soil growing and they cultured it in a lab and ultimately discovered that it was exuding this fluid, which ultimately was penicillin. So this is totally worth talking about, right? Because you have kind of, when you think about mushrooms for the average person, you think, okay, either like vegetables and they're supposed to get some kind of nutrients from them or you think like magic mushrooms and you're going into outer space or whatever you're doing. Yeah. And, and you know, there's so many different types. I think that they're, they're discovering new mushrooms all the time. And what is the difference between, I guess, a medicinal mushroom? And that's interesting is even when you were young, you were studying them in for like spiritual purposes and shamanism and things like that. Yeah. What makes yeah. a, a medicine mushroom versus I guess just, and, and there's also like a ton of mushrooms you shouldn't eat that are poisonous and stuff. Absolutely. What's the difference? Well, well, mushrooms um, in their cell wall have a compound called beta-glucan. And this beta-glucan makes up close to 50% of the cell wall of a mushroom. That is the primary medicinal compound in mushrooms. Beta-glucans are what make mushrooms immunologically active. All mushrooms have these beta-glucans in their cell walls. But interestingly enough, those beta-glucans have different structures. So even though we can call them beta-glucans, the structure or the architecture of that beta-glucan differs just slightly from mushroom to mushroom. And that is what 
makes the difference between one mushroom being highly active and one being not so active. I, I consider all mushrooms to be medicinal in their own right. Uh, you'll get some benefits from those beta-glucans, even in a non-medicinal mushroom. But really, the, the difference is that with the medicinal mushrooms, the really powerfully medicinal mushrooms, it's that particular beta-glucan that they have, that architecture that distinguishes them from the others. So are you saying all species of mushrooms, like if you have the same species, they would have the same amount of beta-glucans? Or does it depend maybe on how they're grown or harvested? Well, or... well, no, well yeah, they definitely not have the same amount. And that, that's what's interesting because one of the things that, that uh, um, we do at Namex is we actually test and measure the beta-glucans in our products. And, and Joe, you know, I, I did a... Um, I did a white paper in 2015 where I, where I uh, took 95 different samples, and those samples were dried mushrooms. They were some of our mushroom extracts, and I also bought 40 different mushroom products off the Internet. And these mushroom products, so-called, were not really mushroom products. They were, what's this, they were mycelium that was grown out on grain. We tested them all. We came out with a tremendous body of information that allowed us to say, well, Here's the amount of beta-glucans in these different mushrooms, and it varied in a mushroom from 25% to, to 60%. What's interesting is, is that, for example, reishi and turkey tail, which are highly prized for their immunological activities, ended up with the highest amount of beta-glucans. And, and some of the others, uh, and, and, and it ended up mushrooms having 25 to 60% beta-glucan in our tests. Uh, one of the lowest was actually chaga, uh, but chaga is not a, a standard mushroom. It's actually a canker that grows off the side of a tree, but it had beta-glucans down around 10%. But the other thing that we discovered was that some of these other products that were being called a mushroom, and that was the mycelium grown on grain, ended up with beta-glucan levels around 6%. And, and, and that was something that was really kind of shocking that these products were being sold as mushroom but they had such low levels of beta glucans so how do you so what do you guys do different how do you guys have such a vastly superior mushroom when you guys harvest it the way you harvest it or what you grow it on or well well here here's a couple of things about that one of which is is um we grow mushrooms on the materials that it grows on naturally and and, and what's what's very interesting is that most medicinal mushrooms grow on wood and that wood is what provides them with the precursors to actually manufacture the medicinal compounds because, it, because it's the beta-glucans, but there's also other compounds that the different medicinal mushrooms are manufacturing, like triterpenoids. Uh, triterpenoids in reishi or chaga, you have to have the wood to grow that uh, mushroom and have those compounds in it. If you grow it out on something else, it may have low to no amounts of triterpenoids. And, and the difference being getting back to this idea of mycelium and, and being grown on grain, the, the issue there was that they were not removing the grain at the end of the process, so the product ended up being mostly starch from the grain, and mushrooms have no starch. Sure. And, this, and getting back to, to what we were talking about earlier in terms of, of how mushrooms fit in and they're kind of between plants and animals. Interestingly enough, mushrooms as their storage carbohydrate 
have glycogen like we do. Plants have starch as their storage carbohydrate. So that was the other thing that we could see right away was, well, some of these products are high in starch. Uh, mushrooms don't have starch. And the amount of glycogen in the mushroom is very low, like under 5%. So, so actually being able to measure the, the beta-glucans was a huge breakthrough. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard that mushrooms are actually more akin to the animal kingdom than they are the plant kingdom. And that, well, yeah, and, and that I mean, rather that they, they breathe in oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide, if you want to call it. Yes, you know, indeed. That's, that's absolutely right. And, and, and that's where people make these comparisons. The, the way that uh, mushrooms respire, like humans, the way they have the storage carbohydrate is glycogen instead of starch. So they are... Uh, very different um, than, let's say, plants. But, you know, I don't want to take that whole analogy too far. They are still very distinctive organisms, sure. uh, just as we are. Sure. So let's dive into some of that stuff, because I think, you know, we talk about the medicinal values of, of a lot of these different mushrooms, and it's amazing, as I've dove into the species of mushrooms, now, the clinical research that's coming out around different diseases, different types of ailments, vaccinations, not just for humans, but I mean, there's so many amazing uses now that they're finding. If you wouldn't mind, let's, let's just name a few of the big ones that maybe that you've seen or the things that you've been, you've been in your business seeing a lot of people using it for. Uh, what are some of the, the ailments that are getting treated with this stuff now? Well, you know, as you know, mushrooms have all of a sudden just exploded. And, and people think, where did this come from? Right. right. Well, it's been out there a long time, 2,000 plus years, probably back into prehistory, the use of mushrooms by humans, whether it be for food, medicine, or, or shamanic purposes. And right now, the four mushrooms that are trending unbelievably are Cordyceps, chaga, reishi, and lion's mane. So, so let's just talk about lion's mane for a second. Yeah, definitely. It, what, it, what is it about lion's mane that has people excited? Well, there's this whole new category out there. You're, you're probably aware of it, nootropics. Oh, yeah. And, and nootropics are like anything that enhances our performance, right? And, and of course, humans are always looking for performance enhancers, correct? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> Hey, like one of the premier nootropics is what I drink in the morning, coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, people, I mean, that's cigarettes, really. So, a lot of yeah. people that are nicotine users are actually chasing that head. It, it actually is, uh, increases blood flow to the brain, the ability to focus, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's a great, it's a great substance. I love my coffee. Yeah. But Not so much Lion's cigarettes, Mane, <laughs> Lion's Mane has, uh, has shown and, and you, know, you know, here's the thing. What I, what I look for in a medicinal mushroom is I look at the traditional use, and then I look at the scientific uh, research. And if those come together, if there's a body of science that is backing up some of the claims that are made traditionally for mushrooms, then I go, okay, that looks very solid as a medicinal mushroom. With lion's mane, what they've demonstrated is that it stimulates the production of what's called nerve growth factor. And, and that's something that we... We have it's a, a protein, and and it will then uh, stimulate the production of uh, neurites, so nerve cells, and and we're we're constantly nerve cells are constantly dying and constantly being regenerated uh, in humans. As we get older, 
the process changes a little bit and <laughs> we're losing that those neurons they're dying but they're not regenerating as quickly and what that means is it leads to things like memory loss um, dementia uh, Alzheimer's so so um, you know so, so so it's interesting because it's not really the older people at this point in time who've jumped onto lion's mane it's sort of like younger people looking for endotropic totally so, yeah it's, so so it's gotten very popular in that and i think i think older people will start to to understand this because let's face it the uh, neuro um basically these diseases neurological diseases are are something that's very um important to try and address now now what's really interesting about lion's mane is there have been clinical trials in Japan with lion's mane. And, and that's something that we don't have with a lot of herbs because they're expensive. Nobody wants to spend the money on a clinical trial. But in Japan, we've got a couple that are really important. One took two groups, uh, so they had a control group. So 30 people, approximately 70 years old, uh, control group, group that took three grams of lion's mane powder per day, tested them all, uh, at the beginning, after 90 days, they tested them again. The group that took the lion's mane scored higher. Um, after another higher, 30 higher days... Higher on... Were they doing like a cognitive performance test or...? That's right. They okay. were doing a cognitive performance test. Okay. And, and um, the interesting part about this study was that after 30 days and they'd stopped taking lion's mane, they tested them again. And the group that had done well in the lion's mane and tested better than the control group drop back down to the level of the control. Really? Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? I, I mean, can you imagine how great that is for my business now? Okay, you got to take a lion's mane forever. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, I mean, all kidding aside, it was really, it's really an interesting, an interesting study. Yeah, definitely. I, I've, I've seen uh, some studies now. It's been used for Alzheimer's. Was the big one. Um, dementia. I saw some dementia. some case studies being used used for, also in enhancing mood, like just boosting overall mood. Exactly. Is, Basically, um, in terms of anxiety and depression, uh, it showed positive results. In fact, the dementia test, which was interesting in the in the study that I saw, they essentially used about the same amount. They used uh, uh, two and a half grams, I believe, of the lion's mane powder. And we're talking here about the mushroom, you know, we're talking about the mushroom powder here. And to me, three grams of dried powder is uh, not a lot. Joe, that's really not a lot. And just to give you an example, uh, recently, you know, I, I, I eat a lot of mushrooms. And, and I, I thought one at one point, I thought, well, I, I'm going to weigh this mushroom up and just see how much I can, I'm eating normally when I sit down. So I took a medium-sized button mushroom which is agaricus, I put it on my scale, 40 grams for this one medium-sized mushroom, 40 grams. If I were to dry that out, it's 90% water, that one mushroom would be four grams of dried powder. Got it. So think about that for a second. And, and listen, one of the things that I highly recommend to people is that they eat mushrooms even before they start to supplement, that they just get mushrooms into their diet. One, yeah. one, one mushroom, one agaricus, one solid agaricus. Now, now that agaricus mushroom, it's a button, it's heavy, 
but 40 grams. Yeah, totally. So, so walk me through the, the, the argument, I guess, because the argument I've heard from some circles is that, you know, this is a fungus and that, you know, you can you get an overabundance maybe of a fungus in your body. Maybe it's not good to put a fungus in your body. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely the naysayers out there. What do you say when you hear somebody that said, oh, I don't know if you should be eating mushrooms or do you ever get that, I guess, at your station? How long you've been in this? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I mean there, there's actually an urban myth out there that says if you have a fungal infection, don't eat fungus because a fungus is going to feed a fungus. <laughs> it's like it's that I, I've searched. Other people have searched. Nobody has ever found any actual studies, data, anything to demonstrate that that's true. And and, you know, think about it. For, you know, I look at it as kind of a a like produces like or some kind of magical thinking, you know. So, no, I, absolutely not. There's no nothing out there that would uh, substantiate that idea. And, and the fact of, OK, we're eating a mushroom. I, I mean, and that's going to somehow I mean, mushrooms, eating mushrooms is beneficial. Everything that yeah. they've shown is that it's benefit. It's a great food. Too. And, and, and here's what's interesting about mushrooms as food is when I started growing mushrooms in the 70s, and again, at Garrett's farm, back then in the 70s, a classical nutritionist thought mushrooms had no nutrients in them. Hmm. They literally said this was a non-food that might be good for flavor. The reason they said that, interestingly enough, is that mushrooms are low in calories. Huh. If a food doesn't have any calories, why eat it, right? Sure. Well, we know that's not correct anymore. But mushrooms are, are on average, 20% protein. They have a, a high amount of carbohydrates. But those carbohydrates are the beta-glucans. They're also a carbohydrate called mannitol, which is very slow-acting when we eat it. They've got great levels of potassium and phosphorus. They've also got B vitamins, which are riboflavin, niacin, uh, uh, those B vitamins, they have up to, if you eat um, 100 grams of fresh mushrooms, you'll get 25 to 30% of your, your daily recommended requirement of, of niacin and riboflavin. Huh. Mushrooms are a really good food and ultimately a good medicine. And, and I think that's one of the things that's really lacking in our diet. Mm -hmm. um, are you familiar with tempeh? No. Haven't you, don't, you haven't heard of tempeh? No. Well, tempeh is a fungal food that's been used out in Indonesia for forever. It's actually they cook soybeans and they grow mushroom mycelia on it and they eat it just like that. Um, mushrooms in, in Asia, certainly right now, they've got um, probably 12 different mushrooms in the marketplace that you can buy fresh. Uh, we're just catching up to the use of mushrooms worldwide by people who've been doing this for thousands of years. We're just a little bit slow to to adopt mushrooms as a food and, and uh, that's a whole nother discussion of why but but you know if you go to Europe you go to France Eastern Europe Italy all these places man they they have they're out there in the woods every fall picking wild mushrooms they, they love mushrooms yeah actually on, on well, I, I want to go back to just the stuff that it's doing while we're on that subject though of of identifying mushrooms I was actually out in South Carolina over the holidays 
and we it's right in in South Carolina. It's the largest urban forest uh, in the country, actually. So I got to go do some foraging out there, and I I wish I had a good little field guide, like a book that I could have known. Okay, is this thing gonna kill me, or is this thing something I should take home? Is there a field guide or a book that you would recommend if somebody wanted to identify mushrooms out in nature? Oh yeah, there's a couple of them. One, what Audubon puts out a really good mushroom field guide. Great photos in it. Uh, uh, another field guide that I think Audubon maybe even is done by a, a man named Gary Linkoff. Look for the books by Gary Linkoff on. Uh, mushroom identification. Out in the West, we have books by an author called uh, David Aurora. Um, look, and, and all your listeners, if you are going out picking wild mushrooms, go out with somebody that knows what, what they're doing, for one. Never, ever, ever eat a wild mushroom that is not properly identified or that you see and you go, oh my God, it looks like what I'm buying from the store, I'm going to grab that, take it home and chop it up and eat it. Do not do that. Right. There are highly poisonous mushrooms out there. I mean, just like there's highly poisonous plants, right? Sure. I mean, we all have to be aware of that. People die every year yeah. from eating wild mushrooms. And what's interesting is oftentimes the people who do are immigrants that are over here and they go, oh, I remember back when, you know, in the old country and we used to gather these mushrooms up and, and they go home, they cook up a bunch of them and they eat a lot of them. And some of these toxins, Joe, they don't even, the symptoms don't even appear for eight hours. By that time, it's over. Yeah, yikes, that's a scary so, thought. So absolutely do not ever do that. Go go find a mycological society in your in your uh, city. If you're near a metropolitan area, there's a mycological society. They love people going out with them, learn a bit about them. And the other thing I would say, whether it's wild or something you buy in the market, when you first eat the mushroom, just eat a small amount. See how your body reacts with it. I I used to go mushroom hunting with a, a the father of one of my friends when I was young. He loved mushrooms. He hunted them like crazy. But one particular mushroom that is highly um, uh, prized, called a morel, he couldn't eat them because he was allergic to them. Allergic meaning, okay, he eat them and you have a stomach upset, right? Sure. So whenever you're eating a new, a new probably food, but a new mushroom and it's been properly identified, or even you buy it in the marketplace, just eat a small amount when you start. So I want to go back to... I think that's great advice. I, I want to go back to just some of the, the everyday practical uses that we're getting out of these mushrooms now. So with Lion's Mane, we talked about basically boosting your cognitive performance, right? Whether that's you're looking for an edge so you can focus longer or function at a higher level, right? Be able to wrestle maybe more complex subjects, topics, things like that. You know, Lion's Mane is a great thing to supplement your diet with. How, how long would you say that you need to consume Lion's Mane before you notice the effects of it? Well, you know, this is what I would say about all of the medicinal mushrooms is you really need to be taking them for probably a minimum of 30 days before you're going to see any effects. Remember in those those clinical trials, they they, they were eating those lion's mane for like um, months. three months. Yeah, just three months, depending uh, on the study. So, yeah. so at, least, at, least, uh, at least a month. I mean, you know, I, I look at Amazon occasionally. I look at the products there. I look at the reviews there, and some people are going like, Oh, yeah, I, I felt a cold coming on. I took this mushroom product. Yeah, you know, it's the next day. 
done, gone, I've vanquished it. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> that's not how they work. They're not like an aspirin, an ibuprofen, or something like that. You take it a couple hours later, the headache's gone or the pain's gone. That's not how they work. They, they take time to get into your system to basically work. They're in the background. You are not necessarily going to feel anything, certainly not right away. And with some of the mushrooms, you're not really going to feel anything until later on and you go, oh, you know, I don't seem to be getting um, sick as often or, or I don't get colds as often or because they, they have antiviral effects, too. Right. In fact, I wanted to talk about one of them. It always seems like there's some mushroom that's getting touted as the king or queen of all the mushrooms. Um, and I know, you know, depending on who you ask, everybody has their kind of personal favorite. Uh, but Ray in Rishi uh, literally translates, if you look at like Ray in Spanish or, or Reina, it's like king and queen. So I guess if we were going to crown anybody, it might be Rishi. Um, but yeah, what have you noticed as far as, I mean, Rishi is one of those incredibly amazing immunological boosters. Uh, what are some of the stuff that you see people using or, or getting benefit from with Rishi mushrooms? Well, you know what, I, I, first of all, let me just say in my career, I've seen four different kings of mushrooms. Mm. So, so yeah. the, the, the reign of these kings doesn't last forever. Sure. <laughs> the, the current king of mushrooms is Chaga out there in terms of what I call marketing speak. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't pay a lot of attention to that, but in terms of trying to market products, marketers go crazy with that kind of stuff. I think reishi is the premier medicinal mushroom. And the reason is that not only does it have one of the highest levels of beta-glucans, which is really important, but it also has these compounds called triterpenoids. And the triterpenoids are, are compounds that they have a cyto, they actually have a cytotoxic effect on cancer cells. So they actually are, are cancer cell killing. They're, they're um, a very good uh, high antioxidant. They're, they're excellent for the liver. I was at a conference in China in the 90s um, on reishi mushroom. There was a, a traditional Chinese medicine doctor there, a practitioner. I was speaking to him. He said that reishi was his premier herb for the liver. Really? Uh, so, yeah, for the premier herb for the liver. So, so and, and, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, sometimes bitter herbs are thought of as liver type and blood cleansing type of herbs. And reishi is bitter. And those those bitters come from the triterpenoids. So so for me, for me, the reishi is the one mushroom. If anybody's going to take just one mushroom, I would say take reishi. It's also in, in China. That's what people take when they reach a certain age. It's, it's considered, um, it, it's called in mythology, mushroom of immortality. It's considered a longevity herb. So I, I would say reishi is the one mushroom. If you're just going to take one, that would be the one to take for sure. Heck yeah. Um, another one that's gaining a lot of buzz right now is cordyceps. I've seen oh, yeah. a lot of high-performance athletes starting to take cordyceps mushrooms. Uh, can you tell us a little, little bit about cordyceps? Oh, yeah. You know, what's interesting about cordyceps, cordyceps, uh, the, the traditionally used cordyceps is called caterpillar fungus. And, it, and it's only wildcrafted. It grows this little fungus, which is like a blade of grass, uh, grows on a caterpillar. The caterpillar, basically what happens is that in the, the fall, the caterpillar hibernates under the ground. And 
unbeknownst to it, it's got some spores of cordyceps on it. While it's hi hibernating, the spores germinate, they, uh, they eat the insides of this caterpillar out, and then in the spring, up comes this little cordyceps fungus. So they call this thing winter worm summer grass. They've used it in China for thousands of years for, the main thing they've used it for is neurasthenia, which is you've, you've been in a long illness. You're, you're over it, but you just can't seem to break out of it. You can't get over the hump with it. You're still tired. You're fatigued. That's when they will give cordyceps to people. And so, okay, we're talking about fatigue here. Well, you can imagine as an athlete, you think, well, fatigue, yeah, if I could get something that would help me with fatigue. And, and they've done other tests with it. They do what's called a, one of the ways they, they test for fatigue, Joe, is what they call the mouse swimming test. They, they actually will, will feed the animal cordyceps or whatever herb it is for a certain period of time, and then they'll put it in a tank of water and they'll time it. How long can it swim around? And then they'll take a control mouse and they'll do the same thing. <laughs> nice, sure. huh? Yeah, sucks to be a mouse. <laughs> anyway, no, no, no mice were killed in this. They, were just, yeah. they just were exhausted at the end of it all. Right. <laughs> so, so at any rate, that then so they time it and they go, well, okay, it swam for an extra sixty seconds over the control. That's what they use as a fatigue test with uh, animals. Um, it's so. I've seen Cordyceps a lot of high-performance athletes too. You know, actually going out there and actually setting like personal bests and testing in their muscles, like figuring out how you know if they can do a certain amount of, of cardio for this distance of time. Cordyceps has been able to help them go out there and increase the time that they can go do those things, which just I guess ties right into anti-fatigue and things like that. Having your muscle fibers because be able to function longer. Well, and, and you know, the one, uh, there's not, there hasn't been many clinical trials on that, but there has been one clinical trial that they did, and they did it with uh, high-performance athletes. And one of the things they found was it didn't seem to make a difference with a high-performance athlete, you know, where you're looking at, you know, seconds, uh, sure. shaving off a second here, a second there. They said it didn't really seem to have any effect there because this person was already up at a certain level, okay. whereas with... For your with normal person. people, let's say, they saw some benefit, but not for the high performance. Got it. So it would give me an edge, but not Usain Bolt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would get a slight edge too. But. Right. <laughs> so, and, and, I, and I, actually, I don't want to glaze over that. So cordyceps are, I think, one of the most fascinating mushrooms to me in the way that they're grown or the way that they grow. And I know you touched on it with these caterpillars, but so these fungi – actually yeah. eat the insides of the caterpillar and, and does the caterpillar obviously die or does the caterpillar like go on to caterpillar, live or? caterpillar never wakes up yeah. <laughs> and and when they when they wildcraft this they actually when they find this little blade this little black blade it's maybe about uh, two three inches tall so they're on their hands and knees in the pastures they will pull the ground back and they will pull that caterpillar out so they've got the whole thing now um, in the last 10 years, there's been a huge demand on that to the point where that caterpillar fungus was selling for $20,000 for a dried kilogram. Well, wow. guess what? <clears throat> Nobody can really afford that except very rich people. And the fact is, is that I tried to introduce caterpillar fungus to the natural 
the, to the supplement industry in the early 90s. And, and the first thing people said when they saw it is, look, our customers are not going to eat caterpillars. I'm sorry. And the <laughs> second thing they said, besides, they're vegetarians. Come on, man. They're not going to eat caterpillar meat. Right. <laughs> so, right. So, so, so here, here's, what, what, here's what's happened is that right now, and this is so cool, because, you know, Joe, there's only maybe two dozen mushrooms in the world right now that are cultivated. Think okay. about that for a second. Two dozen, 24 or so mushrooms are cultivated out of the tens of thousands of species out there. That's not very many. So whenever a new mushroom comes into cultivation, it's a very big deal, very big deal. Just in the last five to 10 years, they've learned how to grow cordyceps and they don't grow it on caterpillars. So everything that we sell is actually the cordyceps mushroom, not mycelium, not caterpillar. It's the actual mushroom and it is fantastic. It is just amazing to, for the first time, have real cordyceps mushrooms that we can offer people. And, and here's what's also interesting is that when I was in China two years ago, I was served a plate of fresh cordyceps mushrooms. And, and you know what they look like? They're, they're again, little blade-like um, fungus. And this particular species is a, a different species, but it's been used interchangeably. It is bright orange. Wow. Bright orange. It's called Cordyceps militaris. And can you imagine this platter of, of fried up cordyceps was there was a there was probably a thousand of these things in there they looked like little i i, I hate to say worms but they they all like little noodles small little noodles they were delicious absolutely delicious so not only is it a good tasting and they sell it in the marketplace fresh for food use that's what's so amazing this is in i mean china could you amazing, uh, imagine being in a, and, and in some places in the United States, this will happen now, especially on the West Coast. Okay. We've got at least six different species in the marketplace you can buy for food purposes. And most of those species are medicinal, like shiitake, like maitake. You can get fresh lion's mane on the West Coast. So, 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 so. So I guess that's the distinction, right? Is like even with all foods, so take an apple, right? Like depending on yep. how that apple is grown, the nutrient density of the soil where the apple tree was planted, that de that's yep. going to you know regulate how much nutrients actually end up in the fruit itself, right? Yep. And so just because you have one apple and another apple next to each other, that doesn't mean that both of them have the same amount of nutrient density or all the same qualities, right? And I think mushrooms obviously function in that same way. And I know so much of, you know, you guys, one of the things I love about your company in Amex is that you guys are, are every bit of the process, right? From growing it to harvesting it to making your concentrates and processing it. There's so much diligence there. Um, and for the person who really doesn't know the difference, right? You think, oh, you know, my, I can go to my local grocery store and I just buy some kind of button mushrooms versus, you know, some of these super high quality medicinal mushrooms. You know, what, what are some of the things that you guys do specifically in the way that you grow, the way that you harvest, and really the way that you process? What's kind of that gold standard? Because I know you guys embody all that. 
Well, you know what, for us, the, the key, and I like to say this, is that we grow mushrooms naturally the way nature intended. We, we grow our mushrooms <clears throat> on natural materials, whether it be wood logs or sawdust logs that have been made up. Um, they're grown in shade houses, so they've got natural light, they've got fresh air. They're grown as naturally as you can imagine. They're, they're harvested, they're dried. That dried mushroom goes off to the processor that we're a partner with. Uh, we extract them. Um, mostly we'll extract them with uh, hot water. That's the, the main extraction uh, fluid that we use. The, then that uh, uh, mushroom powder and the fluid, which is concentrated, gets, goes to a, a spray dryer, comes out a fine powder. Certain mushrooms like reishi or chaga, they have compounds that, that need uh, extraction with alcohol as well. So we'll extract them with alcohol-water combination to get everything out of those. But, you know, the real issue right now, which uh, I try to alert people to, is that the marketplace is full of products that are actually grown in a laboratory. And what companies in the United States do is they take that mycelium and they then sterilize grain in a plastic bag in a laboratory. They'll put that mycelium, it's live mycelium, they'll put that into this bag of grain, they'll grow it out till the mycelium covers the grain, and then they will uh, harvest it, dry it, uh, and grind it to a powder, <clears throat> and they don't remove the grain. The grain is still there. You know, it's kind of like you're growing a plant and you decide you're gonna take the soil with that plant uh, and sell it. Sure. So what, what happens is these products end up being mostly starch with very low levels of fungal material, but yet the, the worst part about it is that when you go to buy it on the label, the label will say reishi mushroom, shiitake mushroom, and it'll have a picture of a mushroom. And maybe when you turn it over to the supplements facts, Maybe, just maybe, it will say mycelium, and then in the fine print, it will say myceliated rice or myceliated oats or something like that. So it's not a true mushroom product. There, there's literally no mushroom in there, and, and they try to claim that what they're selling is mushroom when it's actually not mushroom at all. It's the mycelium, which again is the vegetative body, almost like a root structure, but they grow it on sterile grain. And man, I'll tell you, I, I uh, sometimes exhibit at a paleo conference, actually in Texas, called Paleo FX. I don't know whether we met there or not, but Paleo FX, it's in Austin every year. And some of the people there are pretty strict paleo people. They don't eat grains. And they tell me about the wonderful mushroom product they're taking. And then I ask them what brand, and I tell them, well, you're not really consuming a mushroom at all. You're actually taking myceliated grain. So this is something that, that people have to be really aware of when they're going out in the marketplace because you know what? 75% of what's in the marketplace is this myceliated grain, not not actual mushrooms. So it's hard for the average person to even know, like, you know, you grab two mushroom products on the shelf and it's hard to even know, like, you know, what is this guy doing? How do I know it's good here? So you're saying the way to tell is look at the back and if it shows that it says this was grown on grain, like rice or, or oats or something like that, then stay away from a product like that. Absolutely. It's not, it's not a mushroom product. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be mostly starch 
from all those grains because the grains are not removed from the product, and that's the issue. Yeah. So, and then I heard something actually recently from you that in the drying process, actually, like drying them outdoors in the sun actually adds more vitamin D or adds some things. Is that true or is that, did I hear that right? Oh, no, that's absolutely so cool. You know, and, uh, you know, you might read out there that mushrooms are high in vitamin D. Mushrooms are not high in vitamin D, but mushrooms have a compound in there called ergosterol. And ergosterol is very similar. We have cholesterol. Mushrooms produced ergosterol. Ergosterol is a precursor to vitamin D. And when ergosterol, which is in all mushrooms, uh, when it is exposed to UV, like sunlight, that ergosterol changes into vitamin D2. So, so you know, if if uh, if you take those mushrooms that you've just bought, if they're fresh mushrooms, you won't, if you slice them up, put them out in the sun, you'll end up getting a reasonable amount of vitamin D from those mushrooms, those fresh mushrooms. Now, you could take some dried mushrooms and do the same thing, but fresh mushrooms would probably be better in terms of if you if you wanted to enhance the amount of vitamin D in there. Like like if you had uh, let's say 100 grams of fresh mushrooms and you expose them for for 15 to 30 minutes in the sunlight by slicing up some up, maybe an eighth inch thick or something like that, exposing them to the sun, you might get 25% uh, of your RDA of vitamin D from those fresh mushrooms. It, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. That's you know? fascinating, it's like, yeah. Well, well, you know, as, as humans, um, vitamin D, we produce vitamin D because we have this compound uh, precursor that essentially we get our vitamin D when we expose our skin to the sun. It's a similar process. And, and that's why if, if you're living in a place where you don't get a lot of sunlight, oftentimes what happens is you'll be vitamin D deficient. And, and that's one of, the, one of the ways that they discovered the, the activity of vitamin D was in the 1800s in England, where all of a sudden we had a lot of factories and, and burning a lot of coal. What they discovered was that children in these cities ended up with rickets. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. Why do we have these children with rickets, whereas in the countryside they don't? Well, they realized getting that sunshine. These we're not getting sunshine. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I know a lot of your, it's funny because Namex, North American Medicinal Mushroom Extracts. Yep. Um, but a lot of your growing happens in China. And, yes. you know, we're in an inter interesting time uh, in trade-wise with China. Has the, uh, the, the tariffs or any type of trade, anything affected your business at all? I, I want to also, I want to ask about that, but I also want to know, you know, China has a ton of pollution, right? And so there's, there's arguments around, oh, is China the, you know, can they produce the same quality as maybe European standards or United States? What do you say to that as far as being able to ensure the quality of something that's being in China? And then also, uh, you know, are, any fear, uh, should we be in fear of, of any type of uh, price hikes coming our way from, from uh, stuff coming in there? Well, I mean, I mean I, I'm not that concerned about price hikes, and nobody should be concerned about price hikes. Certainly not with our products. We're not affected by that. But you know what? We should all be concerned about products coming from anywhere where heavy use of chemicals uh, are put on those crops. And look, Joe, 
I mean, would you eat something that's grown along the Gulf Coast of the United States? I mean, come on, man. I mean, out there with some of the factories and stuff, or, or even Mexico. When I was traveling in Mexico years ago, they had barrels of DDT around, for goodness sakes. I mean, it's not really where it's grown so much as, okay, is it grown? Well, it is in the sense of, is it grown far enough away from all that chemical use? And is it grown without chemicals? And, and you know, um, sure. what... When in the intro, when you talked about me in uh, 1997 and and the the um, seminar that I I had in China, what it was actually it was a the first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China, the first 1997. So all of our mushrooms are are they're tested and they're certified by German certifiers, not Chinese certifiers, anything. I, I understand people should be concerned about products. And there are some areas in China that are, that are highly polluted. But look, there's areas all over the world and even in the United States that are highly polluted. And, and if you want to be careful, you would eat organic food to start with. And number two is every product that we manufacture gets tested extensively even before it leaves China. Heavy metals, pesticides, microbes. When that product lands in the United States where we warehouse it, we test it a second time. We, we awesome. literally cannot sell that product unless it meets those standards. So it has to be meet the standards for heavy metals, pesticides, no pesticides in the products. So all of them are tested twice. So what I would say to people is look, you know, go ahead, hate on whatever country you want to and be careful, but buy organic produce, buy organic fruits and vegetables. You know, it's one thing to be talking about how bad these products are, but do you eat organic produce? I do. When I go to my natural food store, I look for organic products, organic support, organic production. It's very important. Definitely. Well, that's awesome, man. I, I know... Uh... It, this has been one of the most fun things just to learn about all this stuff and, and all the amazing things that it's doing. What do you see coming down the horizon? And, you know, it's interesting. We're in a uh, Oregon currently has on the docket to legalize psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, they're doing clinical trials now with uh, people that have PTSD, people that have suffered from some pretty intense uh, mental ailments using things like that. Um, and then in your guys' business on just the medicinal supplement side, what's kind of, wh when you're looking down the pipe, what do you see kind of the, I know the world of mushrooms is exploding. I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. Um, but what's, yeah, what do you see on the horizon? Well, first let me just say, I, I am really quite um, happy with the fact that things are loosening up with the use of uh, psilocybe mushrooms. Mm -hmm. which are the mushrooms that have been used uh, in shamanism for a long time. The, the, the work with that, which was shut down by prohibition 30 or 40 years ago, um, now they you know they've seen the use of it for addiction, end of life um, issues, um, mental health issues in general. I'm so happy to see that. Uh, I think it's great that Oregon and, and maybe some other states are going to look at legalizing it in a certain way. The philosophy mushrooms, it's a natural product. I, I believe people have the right to these. And, and certainly I think they can have a very positive benefit on society in general. So I'm very happy that those prohibitions are being lifted. I, I You know what, look, I come from a gener generation where 
my peers were put in jail for smoking pot, for God's sake. Sure, sure. You know, I, I mean, my sons never had to deal with that at all. We had to deal with that. If we were smoking pot, we had to be looking over our shoulder. Right. <laughs> you never knew. So, so the fact that they've lifted or are starting to lift those prohibitions, I think, is a very positive thing um, in terms of, of uh, mushrooms in general and medicinal mushrooms. You know, I, I like to think of food as medicine. I like to think ultimately, you know, our, our diet is, is sort of like the key to our health. And so if your foods can also be medicinal, man, that, that is fabulous. And, and that's what we're all wanting, right? When we're sitting down and eating, we want foods that nourish us, that give us what we need to move forward in a healthy way. I mean, it's like going into a supermarket and looking at all the stuff in the middle aisles, you're just like, what is that stuff? Who yeah. buys it? Who yeah. eats it? It's it's unhealthy. Right. <laughs> I, I like to think we're also moving into an area where people are. I mean, your generation. I I just love it, and and you're sort of a similar age. I mean, I have sons in my thirties, in their thirties, and and they're very tuned into health, um, exercise. That's just so encouraging for me. Yeah. We're, we're, we're uh, definitely on the precipice here of, of uh, I think, a health revolution. Well, I think it's getting bad enough in our country, finally. We live oh, yeah. in uh, just a – I mean, the, the amount of disease, I think it's one in two Americans is living with a chronic illness. One in three are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. And, you know, there's, there's definitely – people need help. So it's, it's great to see the education now reaching the mainstream and helping people – combat a lot of these illnesses and, and get the edge they're looking for in their performance. And that's so great. Well, Mr. Jeff Chilton, it has been such an honor to have you here and just get a chance to talk about what makes these mushrooms so special. And uh, I know we're excited to be partnered with you on bringing these mushrooms to the world. And I'm excited to uh, help bring in more people, win more people to the cause here and, and get people taking mushrooms as a part of their regular diet. Well, thank you so much for having me, Joe. It's really been a pleasure, and, and I'm really happy to be working with your company, and I, I wish you certainly all the best with it. And, and again, we'll stay in contact, and, and anything you ever need to know about mushrooms, just please let me know. I'm, I'm here to, as a resource for you. Well, I thank you very much. I'm going to take you up on that for sure. We'll have to, uh, yeah, we'll have to have a celebratory call, maybe in a year or something like that. We'll have you back on. Awesome. That sounds great. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it.